Genesis 1.27 says that God created man in his own image. This is a completely different narrative than the story that man evolved out of nothing. If the Bible is true and God created man, what difference does that make on our view of life? What does it mean that God created man in his own image? How we think about where mankind came from and what it means to be man shapes how we view God, ourselves, and the world around us. This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. The vision of TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church using the resources of the kingdom of God. Here is Tori Bjorkland, president of TRC Ministries, teaching at Caravan Fellowship in part three of the Bible message in a nutshell, the creation of man. All right. We have been going through the gospel. So last week we talked about the point before matter, there was a substantial reality, and that reality was God. And we walked through creation a little bit, how God created, and we're now going to talk about the creation of man and the purpose of man. One of the things that I'm wanting to do as I go through this is point out how I've talked about each of these points in the past and try to draw a few lines connecting the dots, so to speak. I'd like us to turn to Genesis chapter 1. We'll read first. The, there are two accounts of creation, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, just highlighting different aspects of the same event. So you would find in both Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of man. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. So that is a very short account of the creation of man. Chapter 2, we find it Again, in verse 7 of chapter 2, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, what's interesting there, if you are familiar with the fact that the Old Testament was originally in Hebrew, and... That word, the, the breath of life, there's no distinction between the word breath and spirit. The, the translators had to choose. It could say spirit of life, or it could be breath of life in English. It's an interesting thing there. If you find verses that are, the context is obvious that it's talking about breath, you'll see the same word. There's context when it's talking, obviously talking about spirit, the same word. So here they had to choose whether they selected breath or spirit. And I don't pretend to be a translator, so I can't say they chose the wrong one there. I'm just pointing out that there's a uh, connection there. 
So I want to read what I said when I went through this whole thing, and then we'll kind of walk through what some of those assertions are that I'm making in this. So if you might recall, we walked through the creation, and um, I pick it up here saying, finally, God created his crown jewel of material creation, mankind. In him, he placed a special kind of life, spiritual life, just like that of the other spiritual beings, the angels and himself. This life was never ceasing and immaterial. It was the same substance of reality that existed prior to matter. So you see, I'm trying to tie that back to my earlier assumption that there is a substantial reality that it is spiritual and not material. And so this life that was never ceasing and immaterial is the same substance of reality that existed prior to matter. It was substantial because it occupies our body, but was non-material and could not be physically observed, except as it influences physical matter in which it dwells. Man was and is, now I'm been using the past tense because I was speaking about a historical event and wanting to be consistent, but it's still true. It hasn't changed. Man was non-material, yet personal. You only have to see a dead body to know that the body is not what makes us personal. It's only what makes us physically present. Once the spirit leaves, the body ceases to be personal and is only material. Have you ever noticed that? One of the most uh, shocking things to me when I we went to the funeral, one of Naomi's friends, I literally did not recognize her. When I saw her body, she was such a lively person, so full of life, and her face was so different without her being in that body that it didn't even look like her. I stood there looking at that lady, a younger young lady, and I just hardly even recognized that body. It hasn't always been that way for me. I mean, I've seen others, other dead bodies and you know, they resembled the person that I knew, but Jenny did not look like her. So you only need to see a dead body to know that the body is not what makes us personal. One of the most significant characteristics of a spiritual being is the ability to create. Spiritual beings create through the use of their will. They choose to bring into existence that which is within their power to create. God is the only being with unlimited power and therefore unlimited potential for creation. Yet men and angels can significantly create through thought, imagination, and will by using the physical and spiritual existence provided to them by God. Okay, so those three paragraphs cover a lot of ground. And there's a lot 
I think that is significant there. So I'm going to walk through some of those assertions. And this can be interactive. We're a small group, especially today. So if there's something you want me to comment on more or you have questions about or you want to know some of the verses behind that or where do I get that idea or how can I back it up, just feel free to uh, ask. So the first assertion there is that man was created, and I don't think we probably need to go into that very much. Man was created, but man, the second was that man was a special kind of creation. And what you see up to this point, the physical creation that Genesis uh, recounts, all of it was different, or I should say man was different than all of that in one way. And that is uh, what made him special. He had a spirit. He bore the image of God. Now, that may or may not be exactly the same thing. Meaning, what makes man bear the image is his spirit. Or it could mean two different things. They could be related or the same thing. I personally think that it's really the same thing. The things that give us, mankind, the attributes that are similar to God's attributes, being created like God, is our spirit. Without a spirit, we wouldn't have those things. And I have in the past gone into the details of what that is, but I would characterize those things as having a will which makes us moral beings. We have the ability to evaluate right and wrong and the ability to make choices related to right and wrong. And that is part of the image of God that we bear. And that capability comes with our spirit and continues on after we leave this body. Having the ability to evaluate right and wrong and choose is part of being spiritual. That comes from being a spiritual being. When our spirit leaves this body, it will continue to have that ability, even without the body, without this physical body. It'll have the ability in the future. One of the passages that we have, Blessed are those who die in the Lord, for their works follow with them. That's in Revelation. I don't have that one actually written down, Revelation. But what's interesting to me is things like memory is an example of what carries with those who are no longer on this earth. An example of that is Jesus when he spoke of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember that story? This is my personal opinion. I can't necessarily support it unequivocally scripturally but it's my opinion that Jesus actually was speaking about a, a real episode a real experience that occurred and that's why he used a real person's name in all his other all the other parables he did not give names to people even the prodigal son for example which is a very personal example of human interaction and God in human interaction, which is what it was meant. They were 
archetypes. They were metaphorical characters. But in this one, the character had a name. There was a rich man, and there was a man named Lazarus. And if you remember, when they both died, they both had memories. The rich man had memories of his brothers. Remember that? And you remember he cried out to Abraham, and he said, hey, send Lazarus over here to give me a little bit of water. That was one of the things that he asked for. And one of the interesting things is Abraham said to him, remember when you were on earth, this was the scenario. So these memories carry on with us. These, this is something that I believe is part of our spiritual being and not just our physical nature. Now, our physical bodies facilitate the capabilities that are given to our spirits so that we can interact in a physical world. They're suited to this world. Our bodies are suited to this world for giving our spirit the ability to be present in this world. So it's our bodies that give us physical presence, and it's our spirits that give us personality and personhood, and we carry that out in our bodies. That's the differentiation. Does that make sense? Okay, well, yes. we go ahead, Dave. Yeah, so there's the, the question is, is there a difference between life that all beings have, um, uh, like animals, for example, and birds, and then spiritual life? I believe that there are different kinds of life. You can categorize life. And you actually find it in the creation story um, as it's retold. So if you think about it, um, you could go through, in the first chapter of Genesis, you'll find, well, actually a second as well, you will find six different kinds of lives. If you get into chapter three, and you find a seventh kind of life. So you care to go through those? Okay, we have plant life. That's the first thing that was created. What else? Okay, creeping things, fish, birds. We have man. We have God. And then angels, Satan. Those are each different kinds of life that were actually spoken of as individually being created. So God created plant life. And, and what you see is actually God setting up an ecosystem in which he placed man. And it was perfectly formed to support man. And here's the interesting thing. Here's one of my third assertions. Man was created as a never-ceasing being. Now, that's different than eternal, right? Because he had a beginning but it goes on without an end. Everlasting is the, the term that is used in translations for that concept. Having a beginning, but not having an end. Uh, never ceasing. So man was created in that way. And I'm going to kind of unpack something just a little bit about our body. I was talking about our body. And our body only represents us, as I said. We use it to be present in this physical world, as I said. 
It's like our interface. If you're familiar with computers, I write software. And software is completely useless without an interface. It has all kinds of potential to do things, but we provide interfaces to software so it becomes useful. The interface is the means by which the software interacts with the physical world. Now, most common interfaces that people are used to are the keyboard, the screen or monitor, and the mouse. That's how we interface or interact with the software, and those are the interfaces with which it interacts with us. But there's other interfaces. We have um, sensors. I was uh, for several years involved in writing soft software for machinery, and we had all different kinds of sensors, visual sensors and temperature sensors and all kinds of uh, you know, motion sensors and pressure sensors, and it could interact with the physical surroundings, and the software would act accordingly. But without that interface, it couldn't interact with the physical surroundings. And this is how our body works with our spirit. Our spirit has all this capability, but our body is given as a means by which we interact as persons, as spiritual persons, with a physical world and with each other physically. But as you become more and more intimate with somebody, you find that you actually can interact on a level that is beyond our physical. And this is what makes relationships. It's the difference between intimate relationships and incidental relationships, sometimes referred to as accidental relationships. When you bump into somebody, you just interacted with them on a physical level. When you apologize for bumping into them, you just interacted with them on a spiritual level. You recognized them as an important being, and you had a, a personal interaction. And if you spilled coffee on them, you might have felt when you bumped into them, you might have felt empathy for them. And there's a whole level of interaction that goes on that's beyond this physical world. So our body is like the keyboard and mouse and, and so forth, the interface with this world. But it's not us. The keyboard is not the computer. The keyboard is not what causes things to, to act the way they act. It's brilliant people like myself that wrote the software. <laughs> So once we leave this body, it no longer represents us. It represents what? Our past physical presence. When you see a dead body, you are recognizing something that happened in the past and not a current existence. Our body is animated by the spirit and our primary means of creation. What do I mean by that? Our influence over this physical world is conducted by our body. So when our will, our spirit, chooses to do something, it uses our body. And so when we have people, for example, creating new chemicals that are in the periodic table now by colliding uh, different atomic particles with each other, they're taking existing material and they're using the physical world and their body to try to create something. 
when Naomi paints something, she's creating using her body, and she's being creative. So we have these creative powers, and we choose to bring into existence that which did not previously exist. Now, those are vast. I mean, some people, like Tolkien, create entire worlds. C.S. Lewis created this, this parallel world of Narnia. This was a creation by his will. It doesn't actually exist, but try to tell that to anybody that's read the books. <laughs> it does exist in a way, just not in a material way, right? It exists in our minds and in our imaginations. So we choose to bring these things into existence. But it's not just paintings that physically exist, but when Dave invents something and patents it, the patent is a declaration that he came up with something and created something that previously had not existed, at least had not been recorded as being existed, right? That's the point of a patent. Maybe people thought of it before. People have stolen my ideas over the years and years. I mean, when I had to shovel the walk as a little kid, I thought, man, if we put some kind of heat coil in this concrete, I wouldn't have to shovel the walk. And then lo and behold, when I was in high school, I was at a bank building and saw the steam coming up off of the sidewalk, and I realized they got heat coils in there melting that ice. Wish I'd have patented. When I would walk to school, I'd think, man, I wish this sidewalk was like just an automatic, you know, cruise down the on its way, you know, and now I do that in the airport. We've had different ideas, but I didn't do anything to bring it into existence. But then there's real inventors like Dave that actually does something. Sometimes they aren't such great things, but sometimes they work out pretty well. That's our creative will. That's our spirit at work, using our body to create what it chooses to create within the limits of the abilities that God has given us. I love this uh, little story. I think I learned it from Lonnie Wing, who was the first time I heard it, about this arrogant scientist. You maybe heard about this, who who really thought that now that we create life and we can create so many things in our uh, scientific prowess that uh, there's no longer a need for this myth of God that mankind has held on to for so long. And then, lo and behold, he um, uh, is brought before God, kind of like uh, Nebuchadnezzar. God comes to him and says, I hear you, uh, you think that there's no longer a need for me. Well, that's right. We can create. We can create beings. We can create people. We can clone animals. We can create all kinds of things. And God says, "Well, why don't we make a? Why don't we have a little, a little bit of a, of a contest here?" And he says, "Okay." And God says, "Well, all right. Uh, I'm going to create a man, and then you do it too." So God reaches down, takes a little bit of dust from the ground. Forms mankind, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul. So the scientist says, okay. And he reaches down and grabs some of the same dirt, and God says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Get your own dirt. <laughs> and that really typifies where we stand. We can only use what God has provided to be creative. 
It's creation nonetheless. And that's part of the image of God that we have been endowed with. But we are limited by our physical ability in what we can do. We have limited power. We cannot make physical reality from nothing. We can only transform physical reality into other reality using the abilities that God has given us. So those are some of the limitations. These are the assertions about the uh, nature of man that I would make about the nature of man. Any thoughts or questions before I go into the next section, which I'll just probably introduce it this morning and we can think about it and talk about it next time. Any questions or comments? What's the difference between humans and mammals? Okay, the difference is that we were created in the image of God and we are spiritual beings. Interestingly, I heard um, on public radio the other day that they now have an experiment that showed that dogs have what they call episodic memory. And up until now, nobody in the scientific world actually believed that. And yet, the person who did this experiment to show this actually was very cautious to say, but listen, we don't believe that dogs have self-awareness. Only humans have self-awareness. So this is held by materialistic evolutionary scientists, that man is the only being with self-awareness. That's a given. Anybody that would make a claim other than that would have, have the burden of proof on them because that is a universal given and what we recognize as self-awareness is spiritual being and that is the difference between man and other animals and that is a special kind of life and it's that life that is intended to be unceasing God formed man from the dust of the ground but man did not become a living soul until, or a living being until God gave him that kind of life. We measure our physical life through you know, what we call our vital statistics and things like that. But my assertion here is that that is just an indication that our spirit remains in our body, and our body is also doing its job of operating on the behest of that spirit, on behalf of that spirit, at its will. Sorry. Yeah. I got a question. Okay, so is there a spirit and a soul, or are they the same thing? So I think the soul is speaking about the being. That is our ontological self. That is the whole... The whole package is the soul. And the spirit is an aspect of the soul, our spiritual aspect. And the body is an aspect of the soul. And it's our physical aspect. I think the soul is more all-encompassing. And the spirit is an aspect of what makes us a living soul. When you live for the flesh you are living as if 
that's all that matters, our physical existence. And one of the one of the ways that I've heard that explained, that the flesh is what we can do without God. It's not that it's a negative thing. I mean, we can we can do a lot of good things with our flesh as well. But it's not acknowledging the connection that we have with our Creator. And once we acknowledge that, we realize that there's another interface, if you will, that we tend to ignore because it isn't as readily apparent to us as our physical interface is. But the ignoring of that leads to our downfall as spiritual beings. If we ignored our physical interface, that would lead to the downfall of our physical existence, right? I mean, if you didn't feed your body, it would suffer as a result. And just as if you don't feed your spirit, it suffers as a result. Let me pray and we'll break from this. God, we've waded into the deep end and certainly over our heads. But you have declared a blessing on those who hear your word and who understand it and who live according to it. And so we want to understand what you have revealed. And it seems to me the only way to do that is to take it as proposed truth, as propositional truth, as something that you have put forward as true. And we need to work together and we need the help of your spirit to to really grab hold of it and understand it in the way that you desire. So I pray that your spirit would be at work in us and among us to, to sharpen us and to teach us and to guide us into truth. I thank you for providing your will, your word. Thank you for providing the spirit, your Holy Spirit, and help us to put them both to good use in our lives. In Jesus' name. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, visit our website at www.regenerationcenter.org.